Some mother always trying to ice skate uphill. Finally, we're getting R-rated stuff from Marvel. It's about time. We're going to break down that and a whole lot more on the show today. We're going to dive into that variety article slash hit piece on the MCU, as well as break down should they even be making R-rated content after that Echo trailer. Plus, we have the B-roll, the box office, and a whole bunch more for you guys on this week's episode of Movie Nights Roundtable. Another week, dude. Another week, a busy week at that. Um, ext- extremely busy. Like it's it's not even funny how how busy the week is. Um, here here's something that I, I kind of want to run by really quick. Yeah. Um, you'll notice on the channel that you did not see a full movie review for the Priscilla movie. Yes. That we did an out of the theater review for. That is simply because of scheduling. We are so goddamn busy, and there's a ton of content and movies coming out that we're trying to cover and get everything ready. Diving into the holidays, diving into Oscar season. Lots of stuff to go down. So, unfortunately, due to scheduling, can't review the Priscilla movie fully. But I do want to talk about it briefly on here for those that missed the Out of the Theater reaction, which you can find in the description. Um, perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some things I didn't like, some things I liked very much so. The best part of the whole experience being the the two comments we got on the, uh, on the Out of the Theater reaction. <laughs> to be fair to one of them, it looked like one of them did actually watch the movie. Mm-hmm. And they were the first paragraph of their thing. Was actually commenting on, on on the actual movie, even yes. though God Awful was spelled wrong. Uh, and the other comment, this dude just went on a fucking tirade. I'm was, sure if you go to like videos, it's copy oh, and pasted yeah, on yeah. all of them. Yeah. He, and he, he clearly has not watched it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'll go out on a limb and say he's never watched the Priscilla movie. The, mm-hmm. the second guy. The, the guy who just went fucking nuts. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed, um, you know, just we, we love the feedback. <laughs> I guess. And it was it was it was lovely. Uh but yeah, perfectly fine. I think some pacing issues, uh really good performances yes. by the leads, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately just I don't know, just something was missing, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. But again, perfectly fine. Yeah, I, I think just the lack of a um typical narrative structure mm-hmm. affected the movie and that uh, a movie that I think does a great example of being a slice of life but also tells a I don't want to use the word typical, but a familiar but welcomed story arc was Bo Burnham's eighth grade. I think that is a very much so should be considered a gold standard of here's how you make a slice of life movie. while that also follows traditional pacing that like brings it home fully. Because part of me thought they were just trying to overemphasize the loneliness mm-hmm. and just that isolation. And and some then, of it worked, but some of it works. And then it went on too long. And yeah. Like, I don't think. Yeah, I'm not supposed to feel isolated. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But but I mean, overall, perfectly fine movie. I love Sofia Coppola. I'll watch anything she makes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just you know, wanted to briefly touch upon that. But uh, let, let's let's get into the into the stuff, shall we? Let's do it. So let's just kind of dive into what we got. Uh, first, we're going to do our uh, movie news section of the show, which is mainly focused on one story, which leads right into our main topic of the show, which will be next. Then we'll do some B-roll stories, which just means some quick headlines. And then we'll dive into the best part of the show, the box office, which we'll get to, of course. Yes. But that movie news topic. And Variety wrote an article about Marvel, and they titled it, Crisis at Marvel, Jonathan Major's backup plans, the Marvel's reshoots, reviving original Avengers, and more issues revealed. Something I want to point out about this article. One, it's very well written. I enjoyed reading it. And it's a very J. Jonah Jameson headline. <laughs> yes. Um, the, the article does reveal some things that we did not know that do seem like issues. Mm-hmm. 
The article also reveals things that feel like speculation and also paints things in a negative light that aren't entirely that negative. So I would say half of the article lives up to the name of Crisis at Marvel, and the other half lives up to fishing for crises to find at Marvel, which we'll break down in the article itself. Yes. But I do want to get into the article. So um, basically, one of the first things it talks about is Marvel recently had a meeting with all their big executives. Um, they like went to like a vacation spot, essentially, and was like, what the fuck do we do about Jonathan Majors? <laughs> like, what, what, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And the article goes on to kind of give a couple different options that were allegedly thrown around at that time. Um, some of them get interesting, even though there's an obvious choice that I think it's briefly mentioned here. Yeah. But it should be the obvious choice of what they should do. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into it right here. At the gathering in Palm Springs, ex- executives discussed backup plans, including pivoting to another comic book adversary like Doctor Doom. But making any shift would carry its own headaches. Majors was already a big presence in the MCU, including some scene-stealing antagonists in February's Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, and he'd been positioned as the franchise's next big thing in this season of Loki, particularly in the finale, which airs on November 9th and sets up Kang as the titular star of the fifth Avengers film in 2026. Marvel is... <laughs> this is an executive... I love this. Marvel is truly fucked with the whole Kang angle, says one, <laughs> says one top deal maker who has seen the final Loki episode. And they haven't had an opportunity to rewrite it until very recently because of the strike. I don't see any path forward as to how they move forward with him. Now, it later goes on to mention what I think should be the obvious choice for this whole situation. Recasting Majors is also an option, as Feige did when he replaced Terrence Howard in Iron Man 2 with Don Cheadle. In fact, Marvel isn't afraid to change direction even after making a splashy announcements. Armor Wars was first unveiled as a series and is now being developed as a feature film. While the studio is pushed to adapt the comic and humans into a feature-length film-generated headlines, and it's now dormant, thanks to the TV show on ABC. And um, so I, I think the obvious choice is, if you're going to change him out, just recast the character. It's... Literally the easiest character to recast. Yes, and you don't even have to address it. Nope. At all. And the just all the variants are this actor now. Yep. You know, if that's going to be your story. One thing I do want to point out that I thought was interesting to kind of prove how Marvel does still respond to box office. It doesn't shy away from that. The article also says, A studio source notes that regardless of the actor's legal issues, Marvel had already considered moving away from the Majors-led phase because of the box office performance of Ant-Man 3, which will struggle to make a profit. It gave people pause given that Quantumania didn't exactly land. So, they are looking at these things going, Oh, what can we do? Exactly. And, um, I... Look, the whole Jonathan Majors legal situation is an interesting one. Mm -hmm. Um... His case was not thrown out. It's going to go to trial. That trial is going to drag on. Marvel's in a sticky situation here. They do have. They did. They bought themselves a couple of years because they have a bunch of projects coming out in the meantime. But that doesn't mean you can't. You don't want to prep and have somebody just wait for that result. And I think it's possible. I'm not saying they'll do this. I think it's possible that they decide to make a decision regarding him while the trial is going on, even before the verdict gets announced. Mm-hmm. And I think the option is to just recast him. If if they do decide to change him out, you know, if they want to stick by him in the trial until he's and if he's found not guilty, they move on with him. I think that's a noble thing to do. But there's also the public there's opinion. The, pu- the court of public opinion, yeah. and they have to move, especially when when this actor strike ends, which will inevitably be in between episodes. They're gonna want to move, and also with a character like Kang with the multiverse, and you want to introduce different variants of him. You're going to want to kind of sprinkle in things in other little projects. Yes, exactly. And you need to 
film those. Exactly, yeah. So it's going to be a difficult situation for them. Um, something else that this article talks about that I actually felt, other than the Jonathan Major situation, was a crisis at Marvel, was the ongoing problems they've had for the Blade film. Mm-hmm. As public criticism mounts, Feige is pulling the plug on scripts and projects that aren't working. Case in point, the Blade reboot, with Mahershala Ali signed on for the role of a vampire looking th- looked promising for a 2023 release date. But the project has gone through at least five writers, two directors, and one shutdown six weeks before production. Uh, one person familiar with the script uh, permutation says, The story at one point morphed into a narrative led by women filled with life lessons. I do want to say that someone who's worked on Blade has come out and said that that's not true. Mm-hmm. But moving on. Blade has relegated to the fourth. Blade was relegated to the fourth lead in that draft. A bizarre idea, considering the studio had two-time Oscar winner on board. Again, that has been pushed back against. But here's where I think it gets serious. Uh, amid reports that Ali was ready to exit the project over script issues, he was ready to leave. Feige went back to the drawing board and hired Michael Green, the Oscar-nominated writer of Logan, to start anew. Speculation around town is that the studio is looking to make the film now slated for 2025 on a budget of less than 100 million. A bit of a deviation from Marvel's big spending strategy. Now, getting we knew that the Blade movie had gone through troubles. Yes. Getting to the point where Marshall Lee was going to leave, very bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad that Kevin Feige has kind of been able to come in and be like, no, 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 no. Let me fucking fix this. Because something else I want to point out in the article, something that we've been saying for a while, Marvel has never been in the business of being average. Kevin's real superpower, his genius has always been in post-production and getting his hands on movies and making sure that they are finished strongly, a source adds. These days... He is spread thin. And Feige declined to comment for the story. Mm-hmm. We've been saying this for yes. a while now. But we also know, which we'll get into with the main topic, he's coming back with a fucking vengeance trying to fix this shit. <laughs> he's like, absolutely not on my watch. Is this failing? And I will say, the, the article at the end does go on to say, like, betting against Marvel fully on to fail is a bad, it's a bad bet. It's just kind of in a rocky situation right now. Well, I'm sure Blade 2 is a top priority as well, just given the star power of Mahershala Ali. And um, I think it was at Comic-Con when they announced it, Kevin Feige even said, when Mahershala Ali calls and says he wants to be Blade, He's, you make him Blade. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that it's it's just a situation of how fucked the mandate of the content they had to put out on Disney Plus has made has made them. Yes. Just the constant go, 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 go has been annoying. The article also goes on to talk about how the VFX problems and how the workers have been treated and it also talks about how um, some of the VFX for She-Hulk and WandaVision and other shows were finished after they aired. Mm-hmm. Like they went in and finished the effects which is fucking crazy. That's wild. And um, it, it's just, it's insane that they're, that they're doing stuff like that. But mm-hmm. something that the, where the article kind of gets where it's looked like it's looking to be negative in places I don't think it should be. I also wanted to point out here. And that's when it talks about the Marvels. Um, it does talk about how the fact that they did reshoots, which every Marvel movie does. But then here's where it kind of goes in a direction I think it shouldn't have gone. Mm-hmm. It says, Then eyebrows were raised again when DaCosta began working on another film while the Marvels was still in post-production. The filmmaker moved to London earlier this year to begin prepping for her Tessa Thompson drama, Hedda. A representative for DaCosta declined to comment. And then a source quote adds, If you're directing a $250 million movie, it's kind of weird for the director to leave with a few months to go. Let's talk about this. Anyone who's worked in film production knows it is not uncommon for a director to be working on a project through post and then having a commitment to go work on pre or shoot another project and having to leave and establishing with your team like, hey, this is how it should finish up. I'm going to go over here. Let's Zoom. We'll talk about it. We'll talk on the phone, whatever. That's not uncommon. 
And, and they're really painting it as a negative picture standard here. Standard practice. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it, yeah. I mean, Steven Spielberg did it with Steve, um, Schindler's List and Jurassic Park. Yeah. Like, there's countless examples of th- this happening. And, and I think that it's just, it's crazy to paint this negative picture mm-hmm. with, because I, I understand that the, the article sounded talking about the crisis that Marvel's having. This is not a crisis at all. This is very standard. Standard operating yeah. procedure. Which, by the way, may be an unpopular thing to say. I'm really looking forward to this movie, especially from the clips I've seen. The clips have been great, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm excited. But with that being said, um, yeah, did it do four weeks of reshoots? And yeah, that's a bit of a longer reshoot time than normal. But her leaving to go do post on the name of course correction though. Yeah, it needed it needed exactly. It. There's nothing exactly, and that's never been weird for Marvel. Mm-mm. And you know, going to London to do prep for a movie that won't get made without you. When the Marvel's release date was moved four times, yeah, you can only delay other projects so much. Yeah, to this be this is not cooperative. Yeah, th- yeah, this is not a huge deal, and the article kind of makes a big deal out of it. So there's a lot of stuff that just happened there, but I, it's just one of these things that clearly Marvel's in a bit a bit of a pickle. I think you could say, Nicholas. Yeah, and from the Jonathan Majors to the Marvels to Blade, what are your thoughts on this whole thing, and how do you think it really kind of collapses together? Um, I mean, like we've been saying on the show for a while, you know, it's just they need to slow down, take a step back, look at things from a higher perspective and course correct. Clearly, the content that they have been putting out has been rushed and not the best product that the studio has been known for in the past. And there's nothing wrong with having, you know, sort of requirements of things to watch. But when you're not putting out good quality products, you know, to watch the Marvels. If you wanted to catch up, I'm sure they'll address things in the movie. You would have to watch Captain Marvel, Infinity War, Endgame, and three separate seasons of television. Yeah. That were all fine. Yeah. You know, like it's, and one really bad. Yeah. Um, Secret Invasion. Secret Invasion. <laughs> um, you know, that's just asking so much when you can take a step back, pace things out more, and make better quality product that people want to see. Yeah. Yeah, And, you know, I think that Blade getting the Logan writer and a slashed budget will be great for it. I think so, too. I think you're going to get a better product. You're going to get, and especially with what we've seen in the box office, they need tighter budgets to be able to recuperate this money. Because yeah, they're not as much of a slam dunk as they used to be in, no. ter- in terms of a guaranteed return. Yeah, I mean, the first Captain Marvel made a billion dollars like mm-hmm. it was nothing. And this one, what, might be lucky to cross half a billion? Yeah. yeah. You know? Which is like on the verge of profitability, if I had to guess. Yep. You know, it's it's a big risk. It's a big risk. You know, you need to start looking at that. And so there might be a dip until they get back onto that. But then they're going to come back because, you know, you can't put all this money into a movie like Secret Invasion. Yeah. And have absolutely no hype or, you know, have it fade out into nothing at that exactly. point. Exactly. And just as of a few months ago, Marvel is starting their course correction. Yes. Which means we're not going to see the effects of this cor- course correction for a year, two years. Yeah, Real- no, we're going to go through some projects. Yeah. yeah, but that also being said, Loki season two has been phenomenal. Yeah, it has been, and I thought the Echo trailer looked quite good. Let's let's talk about the Echo let's trailer. Talk about the Echo trailer. That looks fucking awesome. <laughs> Who would have thought? It looked really great, especially because all the reports. We we've heard so many reports that the show isn't good. The show looks fucking amazing. Yeah, I'm going to take off work so I can watch it all in one day. I'm so serious. It's five episodes too. Yeah. that was what was shocking as well. And look, it's their first TV MA show. Mm-hmm. 
they're making the Marvel Spotlight banner, which I feel like we're just full circle going back to what the Netflix shows were supposed to be. Yep. Like, you don't have to watch the MCU to watch these. Yeah, we had that, and you took it away from us, and now you're giving it back. Which also doesn't make sense, because the character and everything that happens with Kingpin literally from is Hawkeye. in Hawkeye. So what do you mean you don't have to watch anything? <laughs> yeah. at, like, Leon, like, where'd that eye patch come from? What? <laughs> it was from Hawkeye. Like, none of that makes sense. But, it... but the show looks amazing. Yes. And the fight choreography looks great. The violence is excellent. It literally looks like a sequel to Daredevil. It looks like it takes place in that. It definitely felt that, that way. universe. Yes. And that's something that I've been craving from Marvel. And, and I think that's a great segue into our main topic of the day. Yes. Our main topic of the day being, should Marvel make more R-rated TVMA content? Yes. And Movies and TV. Yes. And while I think there are some caveats... Mm-hmm. It's a resounding yes from me. Absolutely. And my caveats being, don't do it for the sake of doing it. No. But don't not do it for the sake of not doing it either, which is something they have been doing. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't need Spider-Man 4 to be rated R. No. Blade? Yes. I would like for that to be rated R, which Which just got confirmed hours before recording. The director, the new director of the film did an interview saying that it's going to be rated R. We were lucky on that one. We got news before it dropped. Finally. It's about time. Yeah. But, you know, with yes. Echo being confirmed being as TVMA, the first Disney Plus show to be TVMA, Deadpool 3 being confirmed rated R, Blade being confirmed rated R. Amazing. I'm fucking loving this. Yes. I'm loving this a lot. And you know where that points for Daredevil. Listen, I am hope to God mm-hmm. that Daredevil Born Again is TVMA, that the Punisher, they're going to in- inevitably do a Punisher project. I hope it's TVMA. Or R if it's a movie. Yeah. If they do more Werewolf by Night stuff, give it to me, TVMA. Moon Knight. I knew you were going to go there. Ugh. But yeah, so my, my, my thought is this. Don't be afraid of the R rating. Because that, no. that's what it seemed like it was before. They were afraid of it. And and I know they have business reason for doing so. Disney is a very family brand. And you know if it's a movie, kids can't go in if they're under 17. I get it. But the success of the Deadpool movies, the success of the Logan movie, the success of many other R-rated films, the Joker movie made over a billion dollars. Yes. And I think if you and can... was nominated for many Oscars. Yes, and I, and I think if you can make these films to that quality, which Marvel can, why not mm-hmm. go R-rated? Especially if Iron Man came out when I was 12 years old. Yeah. And I was about the demographic for what they were going for. I'm a little younger than the demographic they were going for. But... All those 12-year-olds are 27 now. Yeah. <laughs> like, they can see R-rated shit. It's okay. Well, also, and and it goes back to the greater, like, you know, not being afraid to take risks. Yes. You know, because we've heard it several times, like, oh, this project's different for us. And it mm-hmm. really, at the end of the day, is very cookie-cutter from what they're doing. Just yes. in a different, it's a different flavor, but it's the same. Not, not granted, we haven't seen the show. The Echo trailer was the first time I genuinely told myself, oh, this is different than what they've done. Yes. Like, big time. Yes. And with that, you know, when you're taking risks, they're like, oh, we're trying something new. Like, it's going to be like Moon Knight's going to be different. It's going to be a little more violent. Not TVMA, though. Yeah. You get the same sort of show, you know, like there was nothing creatively, I would say, too different. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, looking at the Marvels, you know, superhero sequel, more people team up. Those aren't the kind of swings. A hundred million dollar R-rated Blade movie. Now that's a risk I'm on board with. Yes. You know, take that swing. If it doesn't work, that's okay. Yeah. Try again. Yeah. You know, but don't just sort of fall back into this sort of same cookie cutter type thing. And that's not to say that the Blade movie won't be any different, yeah. but 
throw some violence in there. See what happens. See how the audience responds to it. The Blade movies with Wesley Snipes, people love. Yeah. The Deadpool movies, people love. Yeah. You know. And the only reason they were confident doing Deadpool 3 rated R from the beginning was just because there were already two R-rated Deadpool movies with the same actor. Yes. And like, I, I, I think... good box offices. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and what I think Kevin Feige is amazing at, he's amazing at a lot of things, but he learns lessons and he listens. Mm-hmm. He listens to the audience. And I think that he has gotten the feedback of, we tried to take Kingpin and Daredevil and put them in a tone that didn't fit what they were and people did not enjoy it. We tried taking this character and putting them in this tone, and people did not enjoy it. We we tried doing this, tried doing that, and people didn't enjoy it. Let's give them something we know they'll enjoy. Yeah. And I think that with all the rewrites on Blade, they took it as the opportunity to be like, are we making the same mistake again? Are we taking a character that deserves to have an R-rated movie mm-hmm. and taking it away from them? And I think we are. And so he's making that choice. Yes. And I think that this... Like we said, they're starting to course correct now, so we'll see that course correction go as we go on. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Daredevil was going to be TVMA before they creatively overhauled it. Maybe it was. Yeah. But I think it definitely will be now. Absolutely. Especially especially if Echo's received well. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it also is, and this is can go either way, really, depending on you look at it, but you have a lot of actors in the Marvel Universe that are very protective of their characters, I feel like. Yes, yes. And now there's some, like, I know Chris Hemsworth loves Thor, but I'm sure, you know, everyone is protective up until a paycheck's waved in their face for a very high amount, you know? Yeah. But looking at, like, you know, Vincent D'Onofrio and Charlie Cox, I think are so committed to these characters, specifically Vincent D'Onofrio. Yes. That I'm sure Hawkeye happened, and he was like... (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about this one, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure then they presented it. So I think that that reception to how that had a effect on him. Now, mm-hmm. granted, we don't know what he's getting paid. You know, like I yeah. said, everyone yeah. has a number. But, you know, I think that what they came with Daredevil, he was probably like, okay, like, yeah. I see where we're going. Let's let's try this, and then we'll go there. Yeah. And then he said, what say do you have in Spider-Man 4? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I but, And look, again, my, my caveat is just don't be afraid of it, but don't do it for the sake of doing it. And like, yeah. but now granted, that also doesn't mean that I can't be convinced otherwise. Because if you asked me before the trailer, does Echo need to be TVMA? I would have told you no. After that trailer, I'd be pissed if it was anything but TVMA. Mm-hmm. And here's one for you. What Marvel movie or show should be R-rated that is not an obvious choice? Not an obvious choice. Because I, I have one, and I want it so badly, especially, especially if a specific director is attached. Like, upcoming? Yeah. Oh, so announced. Not, not necessarily announced, but we know it's coming. Oh. Ready for mine? Yeah. Doctor Strange 3. <laughs> Doctor Strange 3 would totally work R-rated, especially, Nick, especially if Sam Raimi's directing it, especially. But, um... Just that whole horrifying, <laughs> just that whole horrifying world of twisting realities, and you know, imagine multiverse of madness if it was R-rated, like going through these terrifying different worlds, mm-hmm. and if Wanda fucking up the Illuminati, which by the way was dark. Yes, but imagine darker, like it would have been insane. And, and and I feel like, especially if you go into the nightmare dimension, which is heavily rumored for the third film, come on, it just it adds up. Yes, one. That can I do one that is not announced? Yes. Nor is it. I don't even think it's like it's not even a thing. Okay. Thor five. All right. 
just go far off the spectrum with it again. Extraction. Extraction. Just do that, but a Thor movie. And get that director. Why not? Yeah. Uh, Hargrave. Sam Hargrave. Yeah. Sam Hargrave. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind it. I think that one of the great Viking movies was The Northman, and that was very yeah. R-rated. Yes, it was. And I think that would pair nicely with a really see, and that and that goes to the thing of we're gonna we're gonna diverge here for a second. Thor: Love and Thunder should have been two different movies. There should have been Gore the God Butcher, and there should have been the Greek gods. Yeah. But Thor versus Hercules R-rated all the Greek gods. Yes, that's a good movie. That is a good movie. Especially if Thor believes that his adopted daughter is dead. I'm not saying you, she is actually. Yes. But if he believes it, watch out. Correct. And a uh, little off tangent here. I hope we get to a point where this new Loki can meet Thor. Oh. I would love that. Especially if he gets to meet Thor's kid. I would love that so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway. Um, s- stop fanboying. Stop fanboying. Um, <laughs> um it's sweaty here. Yeah. Um, I, I think that yeah. this is a great decision to start leaning into R-rated stuff, and I hope we get to see more of it. Yes. But with that being said, don't do it for the sake of doing it. Just don't be afraid to. No, yeah. That's, but that's my whole thing. I think Doctor Strange would have the necessity. I think Thor is just one that would be a yeah. do it to do it, because why not? But... Ghost Rider. Yes. Please. <laughs> that would be sick as fuck. Ghost Rider. And Ghost Rider would make sense. You can really get some haunting imagery going on in if there. If they made a Midnight Suns movie or show and and they made it R-rated. An R-rated Midnight Sun movie would work because then you I'd could mortgage my house. Punisher, Moon Knight, Doctor Strange, Ghost Rider, Daredevil. It's a good R-rated movie. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> I'd watch that. Yes, it is. It's great. Uh, but yeah, but what, what, what do you guys think? Is this a good thing that Marvel's going more R-rated? Should they be making more R-rated stuff? Let us know what you think in the comments below as we move on to the B-roll section of our show, Nicholas. What do you got for us on the B-roll? Our first two, one, bleep. Our first B-roll story comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, Disney is going to be buying full control of Hulu in a deal with Comcast. Uh, the Bob, Bob Iger-led company will have to pay at least $8.6 billion for the 33% stake in the streamer, with the deal expected to close in 2024. We we knew that this was going to come eventually, yes. that Disney was going to buy Hulu. And, I, and eventually, we know that the plan is probably going to be that it's going to go right into Disney+. Plus. They're going to spend way more than $8.6 billion on it, Nick. There's no way that Comcast allows it to be that quote-unquote cheap. They'll end up paying more. But it is nice to finally see that they have confirmed what we've known all along, of that they are going to buy the rest of Hulu. Well, what's also interesting about that is I believe Echo is going to be airing on Hulu as well. Yes. So I feel like Disney's already kind of setting the stage of yes. trying to merge everything into one. I cannot wait to watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia on Disney+. Plus. Now, how does that work? Is it just kind of, well, because everything's password protected. It's just a giant, massive database mm-hmm. that you just... And I think, you know how they have, like, Star Wars, Marvel? Yeah. I think one of them will just be Hulu. And then you just click it and yeah. go to the Hulu interface or yeah. something. Or Fox. Yeah. Like, whatever, you know. But should be interesting. I know they've been wanting to do that for a while. Or they yeah. would just absolve it all into Disney Plus and wipe Hulu off the face of the earth. Yeah. Who's to say? Because Hulu's only an American service. Yeah. Because they have, what, Star is the other one? And Star is a part of Disney Plus. Yeah. So... Wild times there. <laughs> Disney's on a war path this year. Yes, they are. Uh, speaking of Disney, uh, Walt Disney Animation Studios production workers have voted to unionize in labor board election. Yeah. So, so this is something that we've seen an ongoing trend of from first some VFX workers from Marvel and Disney, now the production workers within in-house in Disney. This is great. Keep unionizing. Keep trying to get you know good uh, wages and benefits for yourself. It's nothing but good news. 
And our last B-roll story is a doozy. HBO bosses used secret fake accounts to troll TV critics. Casey Bloys, who was the then president of HBO Original Programming, uh, ordered staffers to create fake accounts to fire back at critics. Yeah, this was kind of a bombshell report from the Rolling Stone of all Rolling places. Rolling Stone of all places. And it's un- unreal. And it's even more unreal that he straight up admitted to it, which I kind of respect a little bit. He was like, yeah, it was COVID. I was in a bad mental health place, and I just told him, give him hell, and that's what happened. Do what you want. I can't control you. <laughs> yeah, but it's but it's, cra- it's crazy that even on that level, on HBO's level, yeah. like top quality television being like, they said, what? Not on my watch. Like, it's just unreal that it's, it happens. It's it's insane. Just also the pivot that HBO has taken with the streaming wars and everything. You know, HBO was the prime time channel, yeah. and just that fall from grace almost. I, I think they still Max has a very good robust library. It does. But just the fall from grace. I feel like they had with trying to break into streaming really yeah. just hurt the brand. It it really did. It really really did. Especially when they put all their movies day and date on HBO Max. Yep. That will go down in history as one of the worst business decisions of in of all time. But with that down, with the with the B-roll down, guys, it's now time to move on to the box office. The box office. You have our predictions, buddy? I do. Dalton, you had Five Nights at Freddy's, Killers of the Flower Moon, Taylor Swift, After Death, and Priscilla. Go on. I had Five Nights at Freddy's, Taylor Swift, Killers of the Flower Moon, Priscilla, after death. You were, Don't you, you fucking were off say it. by one. This is like the fifth week in a row. I know. I know. God it's crazy. Damn. I'll go ahead and uh, read off everything for you here, sir. Yes. Coming in first was Five Nights at Freddy's, making $19 million in its second weekend, a 76% drop. That's rough. That's rough. That's going to be hard to recover. Yeah. I mean, listen, it, it, it made its money. It made money. But they left a lot of money on the table. Well, everyone that saw it saw it. And everyone that wanted to see it again watched it on Peacock. Yeah. So listen, they made their money back, yes. So much money left on the table from that decision. Oh, yeah. Um, On Universal, not necessarily Blumhouse. I'm sure Blumhouse got a pretty penny for that deal. Oh, yeah. Uh, Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour, made another $13 million, only dropping 12% from week three to week four. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon came in third, making another $6.8 million, and only 26% drop from week two to week three. Priscilla came in fourth, making $5 million. And Radical, a small movie from Pantaleon Films, made $2.6 million, coming in fifth. It's always these random ones that you don't think are going to sneak in there. That's how they get you. Uh, Let's dive in more to it, it, shall we? Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's Worldwide has $215 million. On a budget of about, I think it was 30? 20, I think. 20? I think it was 20. That's about right. Yep, I mean, look, like we said, it made its money, oh, but yeah. it left so much on the table. I would be curious if it gets a sequel. Sorry, when it gets a sequel yeah. based on this success, yeah. if they will day and date it again. I think it all depends on what Blumhouse wants, because from what I understand, Jason Blum got a pretty good deal on the Peacock deal. Okay. And he, he, here's what's fascinating. The opening weekend of this film goes to show how few subscribers Peacock has. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. The second weekend goes to show how day and date is a bad idea. <laughs> well, they'll be like, oh, clearly they're not watching in theaters because they all subscribe to Peacock. Yeah. <laughs> NBC Universal's like, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour. Yeah. 
Worldwide now has $218 million. Wild. Good for. I think I read somewhere that it's going to pass Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 this week. Domestically, yeah. Domestically, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It happens, you know. By the way, got the 4K. It does say Part 1 on it. Fantastic. Yes. Killers of the Flower Moon now has $119 million worldwide at the box office. Still has not quite reached its $200 million budget. But it had a small drop this past weekend, so we'll see how that continues through Thanksgiving. Is that coming up on Apple yet, or is it out yet? Not yet. I think a couple more weeks before it drops on Apple. I'd be interested to see how that does on Apple, yeah. if yeah. they ever release their numbers. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Uh, Priscilla has just opened domestically, so its worldwide total is still just a little over that $5 million range. I don't have a budget for it. Let me see if I can find it. Per Wikipedia, so, you know, grain of salt, $20 million budget. Our most trustworthy source. Hey, it is the most accurate online encyclopedia. That's true. Did you read that on Wikipedia? Maybe. Wikipedia. <laughs> but yeah, um, so it has a while to go before profitability, yes. but it's still a relatively small film. Um, and then Radical, the film that kind of came out of nowhere, uh, worldwide has $7 million, uh, $7.7 million, and it will continue to climb, hopefully. Uh, I wanted to dive in a little bit more. Uh, After Death, the Angel Studios surprise from last week, dropped 60%, so not quite the hold that Sound of Freedom had. It's going to struggle a little bit, but it is a documentary also. Um, The Exorcist Believer now has $126 million worldwide, so on a budget level, made it back. Is it going to be worth it? I think it depends on how the other films do from that $400 million rights price tag. Um, The Nightmare Before Christmas has officially passed $100 million worldwide because of the re-release. Hell yeah. Good for Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, Oppenheimer has been re-released into IMAX theaters, and it's just about to go over 950. I think Universal wants that billion so bad. Oh yeah, They want it so bad. I don't think it's going to get there, but they want it badly. But yeah, that'll do it for... Actually, one more thing. The creator has officially passed $100 million. Hey, good for them. They clicked so, there and they made it, right? They, they made it to $100 million. Um, With that down, let's do predictions for next week. Oh, Dalton, you want to go ahead and give me your predictions for next week? Yes, I'll go first. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say the Marvel's number one. Okay. Just, just a thought. You know. Second place, I'm going to go with Taylor Swift. All right. Girl power at the box office. Uh, third, I'm going to go Five Nights at Freddy's. Fourth, I'm going to go Killers of the Flower Moon. And to will this into existence, Holdover's number five. It probably won't make that much money to get there, but guys... If I have my shit together, you'll see the review for it tomorrow. My favorite movie of the year so far, The Holdovers. It's fantastic. It's unbelievable. I I definitely want to see it when it comes out. Hopefully I can find the time. I'm going to go. I'm going to go The Marvels. I'm going to go T-Swift. I'm going to go FNAF. I'm going to go Killers of the Flower Moon. And I'm going to go with Priscilla. Really? Yes. Interesting. My logic, I looked at two of our local theaters. Mm -hmm. The Holdovers had one showtime each, and Priscilla had a few. Now, that doesn't mean anything. (laughs) 
<laughs> but it does to you. But it does to me. Because <laughs> the holdovers could have one packed theater and there could be three people in Priscilla. Yep. But also, where's the fun if it's the same? Where's the fun? Uh, let us know your predictions to the box office, guys. If you're right, we'll shout you out on the show. Uh, that'll be it for us today. I've been Dalton Burdett. I've been Nick Arikia. And we'll see you on the next one. <laughs>